Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an enlightening episode to share with you. I just had a fantastic conversation with a gentleman named Corey Allen. Corey is an author, podcaster, meditation teacher, and audio engineer from Austin, Texas. We talk about uh, his background in this space, as well as a lot of stuff from his new book, which I highly recommend you get in September called Now is the Way. Uh, I also recommend you check out his podcast. It's really awesome. The Astral Hustle. He talks about, he de- basically talks about a lot of stuff we mentioned in this podcast in much more depth. So if you like this, go over, check out the rest of his other work. You're going to love it. I had a really great time talking to him and, and I'm sure you're going to love this conversation. So please, without further delay, Enjoy this episode with Corey Allen. Hey, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. Hey, so for the audience who maybe is not familiar with your work yet, I'd love uh, to give you an introduction. Could you tell them a little bit about what you do and what your background is and what you're working on right now? Yeah, sure. Um, Basically, my background is in audio uh, production and also in mindfulness and meditation. I uh, apologize. My dog is adding some extra enlightenment in the background. Um, No problem. Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, audio, meditation, mindfulness, and so forth. Um, And then I have a book coming that uh, I wrote this past year that'll be out uh, in September called Now is the Way. It's basically a modern approach to, to unconventional mindfulness. Let's talk about that. So I feel like a lot of people get caught up in the definitions of some of these words, like, you know, meditation is one that comes with a lot of baggage. Mindfulness, I I hear misused a lot. How would you define uh, mindfulness? Well, basically, it's just uh, having a level of self-awareness and being aware of, of what's passing through your mind and, you know, what's happening in life, being present enough to be able to then actually respond to your life instead of just reacting to your life. You know, we're all programmed based on our, our past experiences and our culture and, and our, our family programs and what have you. Um, and then just simply our neurology, you know, the, our evolutionary psychology in the sense that we have these lower brain functions, these old kind of ancient brain functions that gives us these, you know, reactionary type of responses to situations. And that makes us uh, kind of being a passenger, ends up being a passenger in our own lives in a lot of way where we go through, we have these learned experiences in our life that make us have uh you know, what feel instinctual, but ultimately they're knee-jerk reactions to situations in our life. And in those unexamined reactions to what we encounter in our life, we tend to um, not be as uh, compassionate or or broad thinking or higher-minded or self-aware as we could be. And therefore, we end up um, not 
living the life that we want and not treating people the way that we want and ultimately kind of living in this momentum of distracted compulsive behavior that keeps us from experiencing an openness and a depth and an enriching uh, of our experience and mindfulness you know being through cultivating mindfulness it, it can make one more self-aware more present and then the difference of reacting to then responding to what arises so if you're feeling certain uh thoughts or whatever that they might are arising during your encounters in life, you can then be aware of them and respond to your life in a way with uh, consciousness as opposed to, you know, an automated passiveness. That is, I love that definition. And I feel like the, like working on that problem is a huge undertaking because, you know, in like the fitness space, which I think is an area that a lot of people get into oftentimes sort of in conjunction with, meditation and mindfulness, you know, that people here listen to your body and they, you know, try to tune into what they're feeling more often. Uh, and I find it fascinating that a lot of people sort of don't take that approach when it comes to their mood or their attitude, they, and they're feeling a certain way and they don't know why, uh, and mindfulness, uh, you know, gives you clarity. And like you said, brings consciousness to that so you can address it, you know, correctly. Right. When, when did you, get turned on to that sort of, uh, you know, understanding mindfulness, understanding how to take a conscious approach to, to, you know, your thoughts or feelings. Well, I mean, it's something that evolves over time, of course, and, and deepens. It's, it's really a skill ultimately. And it, it um, is something as you continue to practice it, the more aware uh, and more, I would say, uh, adept you become at, uh, at, deploying it in your life but i mean i'm studying philosophy you know eastern western philosophy and consciousness and and neuroscience and psychology and those things uh whenever i was a teenager so and you know meditation of course if i didn't mention that but um those are all you know these are all things that have evolved um in my life since that time so it's been about 20 years uh and they've just been indispensable in my own uh, rise of self-awareness and, um, you know, all aspects of my life, just my continued self-development and my presence and so forth. And, uh, uh, yeah, so basically just the, how things deepen in the duration of, uh, exploring and instilling these ideas of the ideas and practices of meditation, mindfulness into your life that essentially, you know, over time, once you, that, there, there is, uh, as you apply them to your life, they become deeper and deeper and deeper and more effective and you become more aware of how they're working and how it's working for you in your life. And um, basically, you know, there is, there is data, information, which is information. There's knowledge and there's wisdom, you know. And so once you kind of read about some of these ideas, you begin to understand them. That's the information part. Once you can remember those ideas, that's the knowledge part. But then you have to kind of live the story and the narrative of your life and whenever that knowledge that you have applies to a situation in your life, that's whenever wisdom arises, right? So that's whenever these things kind of tend to deepen and deepen and become more real. So it's all about sort of learning the ideas, uh, trying them out in your life, practicing them, and then just as you, you know, kind of employ them into your experience, then you'll begin to really begin to kind of learn from your experience. And uh, the things will just de deepen and deepen. I, I think to me, really after living with these things for 20 years, I would say that it's all, it has become so much about getting out of the way for me and, and letting go in the sense that 
um, I think there is a long narrowing down process and a focusing and refining process in this journey in the path. And then at one point for me anyway, it basically got to where now that it's very refined, um, I realized that the next step after that definition is to actually take my hand off of the thing that's holding the frame around all that's been refined. And that is something I've been just thinking and, and working with a lot recently is the notion of enlightenment as a form of natural brilliance, you know? It's that in the arising of our, you know, in, like in Greek philosophy, the notion that we're, we're born with the seeds of wisdom and that really awakening to knowledge is just a, a clearing away of what's been piled upon the perennial seeds of wisdom. So it's already in us all, in the root floor of our being. We have to kind of get stuff out of the way to let that thrive, that natural brilliance. And I connect that in a lot of ways to Eastern thought in the sense that what comes through us, you know, if you, whatever you'd like to call it, how you want to frame it, uh, source un and uninterrupted, unfiltered kind of pre-intellectual consciousness, whatever it might be, uh, all that stuff coming through the totality, it's where the fullness of who you are before it's pressed through the, the, uh, sifter of your intellect and your ego and what have you. Um, a lot of that is the, that's kind of the, the cyclone of your natural being. And, uh, we spend so much time filtering and framing and double thinking uh, what's coming through us in our intuition and what we feel. Uh, and I really believe more these days than ever that what's coming through us naturally uh, is our, an intuition in the form of enlightenment. And the more that we can get out of the way and allow our intellect to simply be a conduit for what's coming through and passing through, the more clarity and the more strength and power and presence we can have in our lives. And then the more elements, the more quote unquote eyes, the pieces of ourselves within us can form together to create one total being. And when that comes through, that's whenever you get this kind of fire hose of rainbows type of situation <laughs> happening. Uh, I like that visual fire hose of rainbows that, <laughs> great i a couple of things you mentioned there i i, I want to dig deeper into um you talked about letting it go and getting out of the way and i'm I, what i think is interesting about that is it's sort of counterintuitive because i think when a lot of people hear meditation they they're imagining that they're going to have to add more you know right uh, take on more information or uh where it's more of a practice of, of subtracting things and creating space. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, how, how do you, is there any sort of examples that you, you, you know, are able to, cause I, I know you, you teach this stuff quite often and you, you have, you talk about it all the time. How do you get people to become aware of that in their own lives? Cause that's what I think is tricky for some people is they're trying to, learn meditation, which feels like an augmentation, something that they have to add to their lives or add a new habit or something. How do you get through to them that's really more about the minimizing of things? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about in the sense of just our physiology, that's something that people can understand very quickly. And as you sort of alluded to earlier, the intangibility of, of 
the mind makes these things a bit more slippery and a bit more difficult for two people to be on the same page when they talk about it. You know, if you're in the gym, uh, working on your, you're doing curls and working, working on your glamour muscles, you know, you can look in the mirror and say, Hey, I'm making gains. Like you can get the measuring tape and measure your muscles and other people can see it. But if you're working in your mind, there's no external source really that you can say, Hey, look at my, my mind muscles. Look at how much clarity I have in my mind now, you know, and you can even see it yourself, uh, in a physical way. So it's, it becomes a bit more slippery. So I, I tend to try and first relate the, those things to the processes of the body and the sense that like, yes, space is important. Um, and so if you think about whenever you are short of breath or you're, you're you know, feeling stressed or something like that, um, that's whenever you're, you're tight and you're grasping, you know, and in that constricted space, there's no room to be, presence there's no room to be aware uh there's no room to guide how your life is going in that moment um but if you think about whenever you're sleeping your body is so open and so relaxed and breathing so deeply now think about what that physical state is like it's a natural process that you're not even conscious during that process your body is just in its purely natural kind of placid state of deep breath, a full relaxation, no fidgeting hands, nothing like that. And you're open and expansive and, and you have to be that expansive and that open and able to be able to sleep. And so, um, and you know, in that state of mind, you, you are more, um, dilated. And if you can bring that same dilation to your daily life, that same openness, that same kind of, breath of sleep, if you will, um, that extra space allows you to have some wiggle room, you know, and so whenever you have things coming to you in your life that are creating stress, that are you know, creating whatever it is that you're trying to mitigate or change, uh, or even just experience in life, you have a lot more space to move around in. You have a lot more depth of breath, which gives you this, con you know, a, a bit more control, a bit more connection, and a bit more peacefulness, you know. Yeah, I, I love that analogy comparing, you know, the body when it's sleeping versus being awake. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, you know, sort of looking at the picture in that way of always, you know, there's always going to be a, like a give and take, a balance uh, between the states. I, I think that's awesome. Uh, in your own life, how, how, what does your meditation habit look like? Basically, I meditate uh, Monday through Friday in the morning. Uh, I have a habit of always getting up and, uh, you know, I, I run a couple miles, three or four, 20, 50 miles. <laughs> and then, 50. Um, yeah, just joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really, truly, I, you know, three or four miles and then uh, come back and uh, uh, after, you know, take a shower or whatever, then I always come in and meditate. Uh, for about 20 or 30 minutes, kind of depends on the day. Ultimately, it depends on how I'm feeling that day. You know, if I'm feeling a bit more um, imbalanced or sort of scattered or something like that, then I'll meditate a little bit longer. You know, if I'm feeling um, a bit more focused and sharp that day, I'll, I'll you know, go closer to 20 minutes or something like that. Um, but my meditation at this point um, consists of, uh, 
this, these handful of practices, and it's always sort of evolving and changing a little bit, kind of almost seasonally, it evolves and changes on its own. Like I don't make any choices to do this, but it's just kind of what, what comes. And um, essentially I sit, you know, I, I do like to listen to some sounds a lot of times if I meditate. And like I create binaural beats for meditation. I like listening to those. I really, you know, initially I created those just for myself from my meditation and then realized that I should share them with other people. And that's how kind of they, they got out there. So that hasn't changed. Still listen to the meditation music that I create. And then um, generally I start off, you know, the first five minutes or so is just getting comfortable and kind of blowing off some of that, that pent up steam, you know, that uh, frantic kind of, energy you know as humans you know we're so used to always moving and always be fidgeting with our you know our hands or something and uh, just kind of always be doing something or other that's really because there's so much in our modern world that we can tend to you know you look at the kind of the uh, habits of always checking your phone or always you know uh, opening a new browser window or t- you know being you know whatever it is you're kind of always doing something and so to not do anything can feel almost kind of claustrophobic to people in some ways. Um, but so this kind of first five minutes ish in my meditation practice is just really digging into that grounded state of taking deep breaths, allowing the face, the neck, the arms, the legs, you know, all the muscles to relax and find that good sitting position, start to really just let go of the stress and the, the physical tension that I'm holding, which then of course translates to uh, mental tension and I can feel my mind becoming sharper and, and more connected and more relaxed in that moment. Um, then I, I do a series of visualizations that are just rather uh, personal and um, I, uh, I, you know, after I pass through those, those are all different kind of uh, based on different things, um, whatever I'm working with at that moment. And then after that, I generally move to this meditation I call the watcher, which is just, a no mind pure presence meditation, which is um, simply breathing and even you know thinking of what the practice would be, thinking of a visualization, thinking of a, a self instruction would be too much for this. This is just a, a pure presence, kind of where I'm taking my mind off the hook, if it, as if something like that. Um, and after that, I generally finish up with just some uh, focus work, and that is just breathing and counting the breaths, you know, watching the chest rise and fall and seeing not necessarily how high I can get in counting my breaths, but just remaining focused on the inhale and the exhale and the inhale and the exhale and using this tracking method as a method to kind of track how aligned my focus and attention is. When, and and you run through this ritual every single day, regardless of like where you're coming from, whether it's, you know, a good day to start or a bad day to start. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same habit. I, I suppose you would say uh, every day in, in that. And as I said, it sort of can flex time to time, but um, I do definitely meditate Monday through Friday, regardless of where I'm at, you know, uh, which fortunately I'm very, I'm very grateful to have the days where I might not be up for it or up to it be very, very rare uh, in my life. So 
I would also hazard a guess that those two things could be connected in some way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, and, and I think that's uh, one of the challenges for a lot of people when they're trying to establish like a, some sort of meditative practice. So one, I appreciate you sharing what you do, because I think that gives people an idea that, you know, you don't have to do the same thing every single day. It doesn't have to be this totally ordered ritual that, you know, if you don't do the same thing every day that you're not doing it right or something um, right. and that, you know, you change your process with the seasons. It just happens naturally. I, I love that. Um, and I, and I think for a lot of people, their challenge is like doing it day in, day out, regardless of their state, you know, like they, they find it easy to do on a day where they're feeling good about it, thinking about it, but on those tougher days, you know, they might just throw it off to the side or vice versa. You know, maybe they are only doing it on the tough days and not on the good days. Right. Um, and w what I think is interesting about meditation as a habit, you sort of mentioned how like in the modern world, people have a lot of, you know, we have these new challenges with like always reaching for our smartphone and stuff is, I mean, I, I have a theory that every single day, your business and your, you know, what you practice, uh, and what you talk about meditation and mindfulness is, is growing every single day, the more complex our world gets, uh, so you're positioning yourself very well. <laughs> the yeah. Chaos of the modern world as it continues to, to expand. Have you, what have you noticed with the trend in this space? You know, what, do you think it's getting better? Do you think it's getting, drifting away from the roots or, or the, you know, where do you see uh, the trends going here? Well, I'm very much against roots in general, you know, like, uh, you know, ritual is great. Personal ceremony or whatever is great. Tradition to me, uh, is just not very interesting. I, I think that things should always be changing and evolving because nature is always changing and evolving. You know, like if we were to say, well, we need to try and treat, you know, act as if the earth is as it was a billion years ago. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. We need to respond and live you know, with the way that the earth is now. And I think that, you know, any answer like that is you know, nature is always instructive to what we should be doing. Um, I think that we should, you know, as things evolve, as societies and cultures and, you know, the human mind and our collective kind of consciousness and our tech consciousness all changes, um, all of our practice, practices should change with that. And so um, I see that uh, definitely the space is becoming more and more active uh, it is, you know, explosive, but what's weird is that being inside of it, you know, and being very close to it and the people in the community, um, to me and to us, it seems like it's really exploding, uh, because everyone I talk to asks me about it. You know, most, you can hear a lot of people talking about, there's a lot of media and what have you around mindfulness and meditation. But what's interesting is that if you really look at the numbers, it's, it's like 5% of the population is actually in it, uh, is actually involved. So it just shows you like it's a white hot thing right now that is really expanding rapidly and ripe for a great expansion. And I don't even only mean in, the, in uh, America, but I mean worldwide across you know, other, other countries and cultures which aren't necessarily uh, plugged into this yet so there's a there's a, as popular as it is there's a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to go um so that's why it's good that there's a lot of people around offering these ideas to people uh i think that 
you know, the reason why that boom has come is because the ev- it's, it's mirroring the evolution of our technology. You know, one of the lines I put in my book is that t- talking about how our technology is evolving so fast in our biology is that like um, there are still hunter gatherer tribes in the Amazon rainforest while amazon.com will deliver your groceries to you in two hours. It just shows the ridiculous parallel of, of where we are with technology right now. And so, you know, the fact that our reality is getting chunked down to these smaller and smaller pieces because we're getting like, you know, content on the internet, you speak, oh, cool, there's this hour video I'm going to watch. And it's like, oh, cool, there's this 30-minute video I'm going to watch. And now it's like three-second impressions. And so, like, our, our, you know, the way that we digest content and ideas and stuff is becoming so glanceable and, and so... Uh, chunked down that essentially now it's just like a static of it's a noise of variables <laughs> it's just chaos which I like chaos you know so it's like the universe is chaos it's it's not a bad thing we just have to figure out how to kind of swing with the chaos of it all and um, so the fact that it's it's come on at a gradual enough pace and that is the density of technology the way that our lives have changed once again another thing I put in my book is like if you were to check your your mailbox out in front of your house the same amount of times you check your email every day, how imbalanced would you seem? How kind of crazy <laughs> if you you know if you walk out down your driveway for a twentieth time the day? It's like okay, what are we doing here? That's a good one. But I that's like what it. we're doing. You know, that's what we're doing, man. If you if you think of what we're all doing with our email, and many people go to it more than that. Like um, so. And that's not even counting social media, you know? And so um, basically these things have all scaled up so slowly. It's just a gradual enough, like it's fast, but it's a gradual enough pace for us to kind of integrate it into our lives in a way that it becomes the new normal, becomes the new normal, becomes the normal until all of a sudden we look up and now everyone is just like kind of almost got this. uh, And of course, I mean, no um, disrespect or diminishing to people who actually have this, but as a very loose parallel, as a metaphor, we almost have kind of this PTSD of technology because we're just getting like our nervous system was not built to be just, just rammed with information and pieces of information and data and marketing and advertisings and algorithmic computer programs, like scanning our mouse finger as we like position our, you know, scrolling bar over things. And it's like using that to gauge our interest and then service ads through computational inference and all this type of stuff, like we're just not set up for that. So everything, it all kind of is peaking, in, I, I hope, in some way right now. Um, I guess the next step is just the, the brain implant, right? But um, meditation, mindfulness, I think has come as, as a species, we sort of, or as, as a, the, a westernized kind of uh, American and, and Northern European culture, we've kind of begun to realize like, okay, this is getting intense. Uh, and people are waking up to the stress, the destruction that it's causing, and ultimately just the distraction, man, the, the, how you begin to, as, as you scroll on your phone, your life scrolls by and you're not, you're missing both of them. You know, you're not getting anything really out of your phone most times and, and everything around you is just moving by. I mean, the amount of people I see just passing through the day, like, you know, if you walk through a, a coffee shop or a restaurant or something, you see people say that they're sitting on their phone while their food is getting cold. They said, you know what I mean? Or like, one yeah, of the it's, weird- so, it's so bizarre. Like a caveman yeah. would look at that person like, what are you doing? The yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, man, this is all coming to, I think people kind of find this, this balancing point of like, okay, let me reclaim some of my 
presence. Let me expand my brain and my mind, my self-awareness a little bit um, and kind of find a good balancing place between our technology and, and uh, our biology. And really, I don't know how deep your podcast goes, but um, we go all the way, man. Okay. Let's go. I'll go spelunking a little bit then. Uh, Basically, I think one of the reasons that a lot of the, uh, anger and frustration is is bubbling out of social media, out of something like Twitter or Facebook comments or whatever, or even you know the news related outlets, it is essentially because you know people are all beginning to only live the narrative of their life for the most part through their interface with the internet, you know, with their phone or the laptop or whatever. So if they're going online, they're finding, you know, social media channels and pages or whatever. They're finding different news outlets. They're finding different content creation sources. They all speak to them. They all kind of serve the personal narrative that they're interested in. And they really engage with that in this deep way. And it creates this echo chamber because the, all of the algorithms and, and data built around all the social media and, and Google and YouTube and everything, even Netflix, you know, all this stuff, uh, it's all predicated upon creating an environment which will keep you stuck in their environment. They want you engaged. They want you continuing to be scrolling because it all ultimately comes down to advertising dollars. Another thing I put in my book is uh, attention is the new currency. You know, it's because the more that you're looking at a web page and scrolling down, the more advertisements that are popping up in between the paragraphs of the fake clickbait story that you you were tricked into clicking on, and it's churning aver- you know dollars for the the web page. Um, so basically, you know, we're getting in these echo chambers of our own reality, and the issue there is that the the further and deeper that people get into these echo chambers of their own reality, the the less that they can see that other realities exist and that their reality is simply a subjective perception. You know, they're just, we, all of our, our worldviews are just these relative point of views based upon our neurology and our past experience and our inherited behaviors and what we've been taught and all that, you know, no two people have the same outlook or the same point of view in life. And so when, but we get caught up in this echo chamber online and it kind of makes it to where we feel like what we believe is correct. And so whenever we, uh, tend to look at other things online uh, or if we see a bunch of people commenting on a post that have like a, a opposing viewpoint or different viewpoint, it becomes threatening to our, our, our worldview. And so people see those and whenever our, a person's point of view is attacked, they feel like because their point of view is their consciousness, their ego feels like if this person is disproving their subjective perception, they're actually trying to cut away a part of their reality. And that makes someone like their amygdala fires up. They feel like they're being killed and they go into fight or flight mode. So instead of having their, their philosophy or their political ideology uh, challenged, you know, and they don't want to be cut away, they attack. And that's what's starting to happen. But the issue is that because of these echo chambers, that everyone is attacking everyone online to, you know, for the people that get into that. And it's stretching the intersubjective agreement of human reality. So that is basically so many things in society and life um, that they actually don't really exist, but humans have agreed that they exist. So therefore they have a certain power, a certain uh, validity to them. Example is money. 
It's like a dollar bill or a euro. It's it means not. It's just a piece of paper. It has no absolute objective value whatsoever, but we place a value on it. Humans do. So it has all of this power. You know, it's got a crazy, it's unbelievable amount of power. It can make people do wonderful and terrifying, uh, terrifying things or like a company, a corporation or something like that. Like where is like the, like a, a, you know, corporation. It's like, well, it's a series, um, uh, in the book Sapiens, I think, uh, uh, Harari used a great example of Peugeot, the, the French car company is like, well, where is that company? It's, they have offices all over the place, but it's really like a series of lawyers have drafted up documents that all agree with each other that this entity exists, but like, where is it? It doesn't, it doesn't really exist. Like it's just, there's a series of people making parts. Well, that's a thing, but what is the company, right? It's like, it's this abstract concept that everyone involved agrees is something. And so we apply this meaning and value to it. So that is an intersubjective agreement in, in uh, philosophy. So if you think of the fact that humans also have to have one of those in the micro sense, the intersubjective agreement of reality. So all of us agree with each other that our human perception of what is, is, in, is kind of, there's enough overlapping that we can all live and have a, a society that doesn't break apart. But what is happening, in my opinion, with this, the kind of echo chambery kind of situations going on the internet is that it's stretching apart everyone's ability to have these over, overlapping, agreeable intersections of a shared species reality. And that's stretching further and further and further. And that, you know, eventually the, that agreement could pop. And then we have everyone thinking everyone else is crazy because we, you know, oh, we well, don't see the world how I see it. Then you must be insane. You know? And then yeah. I, now I'm dealing with a world of crazy people now, you know, so now that you really go into fight or flight mode. So that's kind of like, in my, that's the pressure test that's happening to our species right now. And I'm very glad that in response to that, that people are finding ways to try and, uh, put some relief into the rubber band of our stretching realities. Yeah. I, I'm glad you wrote your book because it, anything to help with that. Cause I mean, uh, we're seeing it live right now happen before our eyes, like regardless of, you know, like the tunnels that people, the mental tunnels that people get stuck in now are, they just go deeper and deeper and cannot see other viewpoints. Right. Have you, have you been able to help anyone sort of break out of that mental mold and to, you know, get out of their own, uh, cognitive dissonance and, and <laughs> the other, the other worlds? I don't know. Are you familiar with like, like Scott Adams talks about two movies, one screen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And, and uh -huh. I mean, whatever your political beliefs are, like, I think in 2016, everybody saw what happens with that, like the results of everyone being in their own, uh, their own mental tunnel that mm -hmm. once the reality is not what you expected it to be, it can be frightening. The reaction that people have, it's like dangerous. It's scary. Totally. Have you ever, have you ever been able to help people get out of that, that sort of narrower and narrower mental tunnel? Well, that's ultimately what my entire podcast is about, you know, um, and I'm very grateful to say that I've had uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people email me telling me just that, you know, that by listening to my podcast, that they have woken up to their own subjectivity in a way with an open heart because, um, you know, you can, 
I call it cracking the egg. You know, it's like once you, cr- <laughs> once you crack the egg, man, you can't unsee your own subjectivity once you see it. Yeah. Um, you can't put it back in the shell. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. And you shouldn't want to, uh, but if you do it, you know, so whenever I was really young, uh, I studied and studied under and briefly worked for a writer named Robert Anton Wilson. And he said, Oh, open your, your heart chakra before you open your mind chakra. And essentially, you know, cut the word chakra, you know, he was not talking in sort of a woo woo metaphysical way, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, and neither was he, but what he meant was open your, you know, get into your compassion, find your compassion before you try and get all of the ego intellectual details fired up in your subjectivity. Because in order to handle what you can see, once you open your mind's eye, you need to have the compassion to deal with it all. And I think that's an important step. And that's something I try and really highlight in the process when I'm talking about these things is it's incredibly valuable. I would say perhaps the most valuable thing I've ever learned is that my perception is subjective, but the most, one of the more challenging things or or periods I've dealt with in my life was living with that awareness without the love because everything just becomes, I I call it my, it was an existential paralysis is where that ended me up. You know, it's like the state of acute awareness of chaos that just became overwhelming, you know, uh, with individuals, with myself, with the cosmos, with all of it. And it took me realizing, you know, what was happening and, and, getting back into my heart and really working with compassion to be able to swing that whole thing around and find balance and find the place I needed to be again. What, what does that look like, you know, like physically or real actions, like in the world, real world, like how are you able to do that? Like open up your heart and, and bring that compassion in. Uh, how does that, how, how does that play out for let's, someone listening to this podcast who, who maybe is experiencing what you described, the, the paralysis? Yeah. Yeah. What's crazy is that I mentioned the existential paralysis and like basically in short, that looks like, that looks like me walking out of my, like waking up in the morning and going like, oh, like the, the neurons in my brain just clicked on that like woke up the lower levels of my brain stem and now blood's moving through the top of my brain and my frontal lobe okay, now my consciousness is coming more and more online and I'm moving out of the threshold of, of uh, unconscious to subconscious to conscious awareness. And now I'm going to get up and like how many cells from my skin are still left in the sheets after I, I moved that sheet and got up out of bed, how much of the, the cells in my skin just fell off. And now there's other cells regenerating and I feel the blood moving through the veins, my legs and my arms as I stand up and begin to walk. And I feel each foot and my ankle joint and toes pressing against the ground as I'm taking steps over. And I, and I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. You know, this is all getting <laughs> out of bed. Right? And then walking outside and being like blasted with the notion that, okay, there's a nuclear furnace 92 million miles away that's giving life to like, it's the perfect distance from here to there to sustain biological life on this planet. And I can feel like burning and mutating the cells on the outside of my body. And there's like water moving up in all of the blades of grass in my eye line. And each of these houses in front of me has individuals inside of them that are all looking out of the cameras of their mind. And they're all going to 
disperse in their automobiles or via bus or whatever to different locations around the city. And then, the, but wait, the entire city is going to do that. So there's millions of people right now all in one particular location that will all then move through the veins of this weird city that I'm in, the veins, which are the roadways of this like organism, and they'll go to another place and then they'll all move back to other various locations and return to where they came from. And then actually this whole collective species is like it's the rise in the morning and the going to a different location coming back is actually us all breathing. And it's like the earth organism breathing us. Like we are the oxygen cells of the earth right now, you know, shit like that. Like that's what I like, just that's all that's going through my mind, like constantly for years, really. Um, Gets a little intense, right? Gets a little intense. Yeah, um, I don't think our brains are wired to take in that much data. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's useless. <laughs> like, you know, like I, <laughs> I came away with like really nuanced, lengthy ideas about meaning and like the definition of truth and stuff like that. But it's as a func to be a functional like person, it, you're, you're missing out on a lot of what it just being human is and like life. So, um, the first thing I did to get, so whenever I told that story in my podcast like three years ago, because it was just kind of a random thing on a side I started talking about one time, man, the amount of like, when I was like, oh, it's an existential paralysis because you're so like, ah, <laughs> you know, like, it's so overwhelming that you, you're kind of stunned, like, and it's hard to, hard to manage. And so um, drinking helped, uh, but <laughs> I kind of <laughs> numb, numb some of those thoughts a little bit, slow the machine down. Uh, and so, yeah, man. So like the amount of people that hit me up and they were like, Oh my God, like I'm, I went through that or I'm going through that now. It really blew me away. I was like, okay, this is like a, this is something, this is like a human thing. This wasn't some weird thing that happened to me because I took a bunch of psychedelics whenever I was at, you know, before my brain was done developing as a young kid. <laughs> I'm like, this is something that just happens, you know? And so, uh, what I started doing first is I started thinking about like, uh, what is like, what is my birthright as a, as an entity, not as like a spiritual being or any, any of that stuff, but like as a biological organism, like what, what are, what comes with my manifestation in my meat suit? You know, what do I got here? I got like my mind, my consciousness or your spirit or whatever you want to call it, depending on where you're from and I have my body. So I've been like, going deep into my mind and my consciousness for like a decade plus at this point. And I'm like, I've been missing out. I've been ignoring my body. This is why I'm having this issue is like my tuning fork is ringing, but like one of them is <laughs> I'm not completing a, a chord here, right? I've got two notes that are really overwhelming. I need that balance. And so I, I immediately started getting into my body and I started, that's when I started running. That's when I started doing yoga uh, that's when I started eating like really well, uh, taking vitamin supplements, all that stuff. That was a good starting point. It got me back grounded into my being. Um, and it's tough, man. It's tough whenever you're like soaring on this intellectual uh, comet through your own life. In some weird way, you get addicted to that because you're riding this wave of like manic kind of ferocity or something like that. It becomes very addicting. Um, and the momentum of it makes you feel like you can't step off of it. It's like you feel like your your back is on the front on the nose of a plane that's going 500 miles an hour and like the centrifugal force is just pressing you up against it. Um, but getting into your body, just taking those steps, creating a habitual behavior, like an agreement with yourself, 
And I realized that, uh, again, um, this is we're very much talking about the stuff that's in my book, so I keep bringing it up. But um, this kind of equation that I came up with at that point was, uh, you know, consistent action plus time equals lasting change. It's like you can't do everything all at once, but what you can do to make real change in your life is take little steps, do one thing every day, one small thing every day towards something. And over time, you're going to wake up and you'll realize you've created a big change. It's like one block to the pyramid, another block to the pyramid, another block. And then after 100 days, you've added 100 blocks. You've got quite a big foundation. After 1,000 days, you know, you've got something, something worthwhile, something that'll last, you know? And so I started just working with like eating better, as I said, exercising, just started getting in my body, started trying to cor correct that birthright, you know, that trio. Um, and then I took that into my meditation and realized that I should really get into, I needed the, the balance, the compassion balance to the mind. And I started really just focusing on all heart-based like thinking. Um, and that looks like, even in meditation, if you're sitting there, it's nothing magical or mystical. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and oftentimes it, it doesn't, it really shouldn't be. Uh, and so when you're sitting there, all you're doing is sitting there, eyes closed, arms resting, and you're just taking breaths in and release. You don't even have to exhale. Your body is designed to release on its own. You just allow your chest to fall. You breathe in and allow your chest to fall. Breathe in, allow your chest to fall. And when you notice all of your mind going crazy and your thoughts going all over the place and you feel like you're failing, you're actually taking the biggest and hardest step of mindfulness, which is waking up to the fact that you have thoughts at all. So you're actually winning in that moment. So you're seeing this crazy river of thoughts flow by and you're just breathing, focusing on your breath, allowing your breath to come in, feeling it come in. And then as you exhale, letting your chest fall. And then what you might do is you start focusing on just kind of picturing like you have a mouth or something on your heart and you're literally breathing into your heart space and then exhaling from that space, breathing into that space, exhaling from that space. And then what I started doing kind of intuitively was picturing things in my life that actually brought the feelings of love, the feelings of warmth and goodness to my life. Like it can be anything from, if you think about your partner, uh, you think about you, your aunt, your pet, you think about someone, your a sibling or a parent, you think about a friend, you think about a moment, you know, a time in your life, an experience, something that gave you that, that feeling that like, it's like a string is being pulled in your heart and you just have this, uh, this kind of bottom falls out where this thing just expands outwards. You feel that warmth, you feel everything, your chest smiling and all radiating upwards, you know, go search, you know, all Reddit thread and you'll see, you can find plenty of that on there. Uh, the AWW Reddit thread is full of nothing but cute puppy pictures. You know, that'll, that'll do it to you. <laughs> but just focus on that feeling, those things in your life that bring that feeling and just hold that feeling. Keep thinking about those things. Keep breathing with those things. Keep bringing those. You're literally like, pulling your memory and those things out of the sediment of your memory and back into your body, back into your heart. And you spend time in that place in meditation. So I would spend time in that place, just drawing this feeling of love and opening and, and, and energy. And again, not in a metaphysical way, but literal energy to, to the, the heart space. 
because people hear the word energy and they think, well, that's like, what are you talking about? Crystals? It's like, no, no, no. I think crystals are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm talking about like, if you try and sprint from here to the edge of, you know, from wherever you're at to the edge of the room, or whatever, that takes energy, right? <laughs> like, well, what is that? Well, it's your physical energy. There's energy in your body. You've got this combustion in your uh, cardio system. That's energy. This is the same type of thing. It's just, it's natural vibrance. You know, it's, it's vitality. And you're drawing that into, your, into the center of your being in this moment, into your heart feeling. And because the way that our brain, the way that our whole nervous system adapts, the neuroplasticity of our mind begins to change. And so basically the roadways of our brain, like you know, whenever we have a thought, when we put ourselves in a certain situation, our neurons send signals through synapses to other neurons in order to activate the different zones in our brain, which creates our consciousness and, and gives us our thoughts. As those neurons travel through repetitive paths, those roadways become fortified. And that's, called, that's what neuroplasticity is. So if you spend all of your time watching horror movies, you're going to think in horror ways. If you spend all of your time listening to like rap music, you're going to think in rappy type of ways. <laughs> you know, um, If you spend all of your time listening to Alan Watts lectures, you're going to think in Alan Wattsy type of ways. Um, if you spend time with your friends sitting around judging and criticizing and talking shit, you're going to think in those ways. If you sit around hanging with your friends, you know, talking about exciting things, being fun, you know, talking about fun, talking about fortifying things, you're going to think in positive ways. So basically after, you know, uh, just a couple of days, but maybe, you know, several weeks, 60 days, you can really remap and change it. You know, it's, there's plenty of, you know, endless, countless uh, studies out there from neuroscientists that you can really remap and rewire is what they, they phrase it, your brain. And so if you sit for 10, 20 minutes a day in this meditation, doing this practice of drawing in this compassion, focusing on the heart, feeling all the things, you're literally rewiring your brain into thinking and, and feeling in a more compassionate way. So what I'm talking about here is really cutting away all of the hallmark card, woo woo sort of positive thinking aspect of what, people might think this practice is and putting it to something real, putting it to something uh, technical and something physiological in a way that you can really choose your own adventure. You can, what you decide to focus on is the way that you can shape what your experience is. And so I pulled myself out of that state of existential paralysis by really drawing in and opening the heart and, and that I, I practiced that until I felt the balance until I could, uh, what ultimately happened is that my interactions with individuals went from assessing and surveying people in their totality to observing the light, observing the dark, not judging the dark, not coddling the light, but seeing both of them there in the fullness of each of them and myself and then just talking through that, connecting past the veneer of personality and, and programming and speaking to the resonant core of their humanity from mine. You know, when I was able to do that truthfully, I knew that I had found the balance I was looking for. I, I love how your approach is more scientific than, than, uh, really most people I've ever heard in this space, you know, like I, I think one of the challenges of being in the meditation space is so much of that woo woo turns people off. And so I'm really glad you're able to bring in 
the sort of psychological facts that that underlie you know the the results that you've seen did you always take sort of a fact-based approach on this stuff or did that come along with your your learning yeah, I, I <laughs> whenever I was very young, I, I started listening to like death metal. And so I kind of have this like, I, I grew up in that bullshit destroyer sort of mind state, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. Um, but no, I, I've always been very interested in what works, what's real, how, you know, shaking off delusion, getting closer to truth, not, not you know, creating more boundaries between it. Um, and I have gone through periods in my life of experimentation of like uh, allowing my, as, as a kind of an experiment, allowing myself to be more flexible in my ways of thinking to just do research really to like, okay, what if I start allowing myself, I'm going to try believing in magical thinking or something like that or positive, just to see what that reality tunnel is like. You know, and then I'm going to try the extreme scientific materialist reality tunnel and see what that's like and then come back, you know. And so uh, I've always pursued truth and, and honesty because I believe that the highest clarity, the highest good, the, the least delusion is where we can find the most fertile ground of our human experience with each other and with ourselves, you know, we can really get to what we're all seeking, which is life, which is presence, which is meaning, which is feeling witnessed, feeling connected, feeling purpose. And all those things come from focus, from clarity and from truth. What are some of the, what's, what are some resources that you like to go to, to learn more about this and, and what resources could people, you know, explore themselves uh, to, to dig into some of these truths? You, you mentioned, you know, one book already, Sapiens, but are, are there other books or uh, resources that, that you recommend to other people to get a better understanding of all the stuff we've been talking about? Yeah. What's, what's funny is that uh, I think probably about five, six years ago, I really stopped reading or listen like any books or listening to podcasts on this type of stuff because um, I think it's sort of like whenever you're a musician and you start off by maybe you try and write a song and it kind of sounds like, well, that sounds kind of like a little bit like Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I liked them a lot when I was growing up or, or whoever your artist is, you know, and then eventually it kind of like, after you mimic whatever your influences are, eventually through that you find your style and then you let go of those other influences and allow your own inner voice to thrive. Uh, that's really where I am with this stuff nowadays. Um, I would say where you can find a lot of these ideas would be on my podcast. Uh, this is pretty much what most of the podcasts are about. It's called The Astro Hustle. Um, I would recommend uh, my <laughs> my new book called Now's the Way that's coming out in September. You know, you can pre-order it now. Uh, as far as other contemporary books that are around, um, you know, a lot of this stuff we're talking about, Matt Haig is a British author, a uh, lovely gentleman, has a book called uh, Notes on a Nervous Planet or From a Nervous Planet uh, that kind of talks about some of this stuff. And then I would also suggest the the spiritual classic cutting through materialism by Chogyam Trungpa. That's another really great book that takes 
not necessarily the scientific approach, but it takes all the elements of Eastern mysticism and wisdom and really, you want to talk about a bullshit destroyer. <laughs> that guy is a nuclear weapon. Uh, and so that's another uh, great, great resource I'd recommend. I've, I've bought that book for more people than any other book. So I'd recommend that as well. Awesome. Love that. I'll definitely add that all to the show notes. I, I'm curious, cool. are, are you familiar with any of the Jed McKenna books? No. He's got an interesting take. I think you might like it from it's, it's uh, like one of the first book in his series is spiritual enlightenment, the damnedest thing. And it's basically like the most like unwoo woo book about mm. enlightenment and that sort of stuff. I, I think you might enjoy it. Um, nice. You said it's but, Jed, Jed McKenna. Correct. Yep. Cool. Like, okay. like Terrence McKenna's yeah. last name, but Jed. Yeah. Um, love it, man. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing all this info with me. I feel like I could ask you questions all day, but I know you said you got a, uh, quite a crazy schedule today. Are, are there anything, uh, any fun, definitely to all the listeners, uh, pre-order the book now is the way listen to thank the podcast. You. Thank you. And, thank you. Is there anything else you want to leave off with the audience? Any, any asks, requests, or anything like that? Any final words before we wrap up? Uh, my request would be to trust your intuition. <laughs> to believe, you know, like, listen to that voice in the back of your head and let that come through, you know, and watch what happens. That's my request. That's a good one, man. I like that one. Just... <laughs> Plain and simple to the point. Uh, love it, man. Well, thank you so much, Corey. You're the man. I really appreciate you sharing all this info with us and uh, hope we can continue the conversation sometime. Thank you so much, Patrick. I really appreciate you having me on. And also, hey, uh, I didn't go to college, so I'm glad that this is a good show for me. <laughs> hey, that, you know, that's what we're all about. You know, I just want to share information for free, no tuition needed, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the success that you're having. Cause you know, you, you don't need that degree. That's basically what we preach. So, uh, yeah, man, I feel like we do a whole nother podcast on that alone. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.